Thinner Logs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy grounded in shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Hey everybody, my name is Eric Garneau, and this is part two of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories August podcast, featuring the theme Fingers Crossed. Once again, we partnered up with Giant Bomb News Editor Patrick Klepek, whose story was cut tragically short on our C2E2 bonus episode, to get a great list of storytellers together to reflect on that theme. This episode, we'll hear from Katie Johnston-Smith, Dave Lang, Sarah Schieber, Alex Cox, Kevin Budnick, and Mr. Klepek himself. Plus, you'll get the tunes you love, um, maybe that's the right adjective, from Claire Friedman, Dwight Hassler, and myself. So before we get on to the show, I've got to do some plugs, and here is a big one. This weekend, we'll be out at PAX in Seattle for a couple reasons. First, we're playtesting our new game, Fisticuffs, which is a pugilistic card game. Uh, it's super fun. We're testing that at the Indie Mega booth all weekend long, so stop by and play if you're at the show. Uh, second, and this is this is really cool, we will be a part of the show Cards Against Humanity and Friends at the Triple Door this Saturday night. The show features us, Improvised Star Trek, and some really special guests that I cannot mention, but that will make you super, super happy. Uh, tickets are only $20, and I promise this will be a great time, and you will be really happy that you paid that $20. Uh, so visit thetripledoor.net to purchase tickets, or follow the link that I'm posting beneath this podcast. And speaking of podcasts, don't forget the Nerdalogs have a whole podcast family to keep you entertained, including the Nerdalogcast, MBSing with Mary Beth Smith, and Talking Games with Tim and Clayton. These are all available on iTunes, as well as our website, which is, of course, www.nerdalogs.com. They're always free and pretty much almost always fun. So listen to and enjoy them. But first, enjoy this show. So this is an arrangement of a song that Claire came up with, and it's fucking great. It's fucking rad, y'all. Uh, you want to talk about it? Uh, yeah, sure. This is definitely, uh, in the top, <laughs> I'll give it top five best E3 Hollywood stories. Um, uh, it's by a young woman named, uh, Katie Hudson, whom you may know as Katie Perry, given the name that Kate Hudson was already taken. Thank you. And, uh, she was a young Christian artist, uh, making her way with her traveling family of religious folks and uh she uh she is no longer a religious singer she's fair to say she's now Katy perry <laughs> but i feel like this song almost like channels her earlier roots i feel like it could i feel especially since her fir- her biggest uh first hit was uh i kissed a girl and but previous to that her initial release single was you are so gay <laughs> that's a that's a truth fact <laughs> True facts from Claire. Friedman. Seriously, that's good. Each all this story. You watch it. So do you wanna, <laughs> oh, and we're not uh, playing it the way that she plays it. You want to give me the tempo on this guy? Let your colors burn. 
like a waste of space Your original cannot be replaced If you only knew what the future holds After a hurricane comes a rainbow Maybe the reason why all the doors are closed So you can open one that leads you to the perfect road Like a lightning bolt Your heart will grow And when it's time, you know You just gotta ignite the light and let it shine Just on the night like the 4th of July Cause you're a firework Come on, don't watch your words Make them go as you shoot across the sky Maybe you're a firework Boring. All right, guys. So you just saw her up here giving you T-shirts. This is Katie Johnson Smith. It's easy to villainize someone you don't understand. You see a rich businessman and you think, "Oh, fuck you and your money. You're a bad person, and I hope everything you do fails." <laughs> To you, they are no more human than a cardboard cutout of Princess Leia. But uh, guess what? Everyone is a human being deserving of much more than surface-level judgments. James Bruce Johnston Sr. was my grandfather and a larger-than-life character filled with wisdom, electricity, and love. And I used to spend stretches of lazy childhood summer weeks with him, my grandmother, and many of my 12 cousins at his house in northern Michigan. He taught me how to drive on the backcountry roads, teased me about the townies I thought were cute, I was pretty much exclusively into any breathing man who bagged groceries or worked in a field. (laughs) And uh, occasionally pretended his body was possessed by an evil Godzilla-esque monster who couldn't help but terrorize my cousins and me. It was the type of childhood dreams are made of, and I am very lucky to have experienced it. One summer, uh, we didn't go to Michigan. Not right away. I still spent a good amount of time with my granddad, watching him face death. And I'm sure he was afraid, but he never let me see that. I saw a man whose heart was open with love for his family as well as the God he worshipped. Before he left us, he made sure everyone important to him knew how he felt about them and what they were capable of in life. That is who he was. He was a loving, encouraging, honest, self-made man who did his best to enrich the lives of his loved ones. That is his legacy to me, and I wish it was the way everyone remembered him. But 
history will remember him as the chief negotiator and executive vice president of U.S. Steel, who was on the front page of the New York Times, featured in the Wall Street Journal, and wrongfully indicted by a group of plaintiff lawyers looking for a big payday. And I get that it's easy for a person who didn't know him or a person who felt wronged by him or someone who just wants to hate a seemingly powerful man look at my grandfather and his life and the things he accomplished and say, yeah, fuck that guy. And that is really unfortunate. My wish for at least all of the people who hear this piece is that next time you want to jump to judgment of a person you don't know, take into consideration that they are someone's something. They are a dynamic and complex human being deserving of love, and you shouldn't judge anyone's story, especially if you don't know it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Katie. Kicking the second half off right. All right, guys, let's get back to Patrick Klepek's friends. This gentleman is the head... That's what? What? This gentleman is the head developer of Iron Galaxy Studios. They have a lot of fantastic titles, but you might most know them from the game Dropkick. This... Dropkick! Because you don't know them from Dropkick. Hey, my handwriting's shitty. I apologize. Mr. Dave Lang! Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to stand. Is that cool? Yeah, please. Cool. So, uh, how's everyone doing? Great. So when I was thinking about uh, this in, in, my, in my extensive preparations for tonight's talk that began this morning at 10 a.m., um, I was thinking a lot about how hoping for the best and it rarely, rarely coming through how uh, much that hurt me throughout my life, and then what I've kind of done to combat that. And so, like, very recently, there's a good example of this. So I tend to give a lot of talks as part of my job, and um, I've kind of developed something that helps me instantly determine how the talk is going to go. I usually start off every talk like this. And by the way, they're not all, like, fun venues like this. They're normally, like, oh, I'm demoing for press, or I'm at some snooty conference giving, like, an academic lecture or whatever. But I always start off every talk just like this. Hi, my name is Dave Lang. I'm the CEO of Iron Galaxy, and my favorite pony is pork chop applesauce. (laughs) And I do that for a very good reason. So it's not because I'm really into MLP or, (laughs) or I even know what MLP means. Uh, I do it because if people graciously giggle or laugh like you guys did, then I know the talk's going to go pretty well because tonally all my talks are the same, right? Like I don't take myself super seriously. I rarely take the material I'm presenting super seriously. I just want to get up here and have fun and kind of vibe with the audience and just do my thing. Whereas if like the audience doesn't laugh and it happens shockingly frequently, um, you know, they're like, I don't want to listen to a brony. Uh, then I know I need to exit stage left and just give them the abridged version. Right. And that's, that's like what that is. That's me kind of not wanting to worry about, oh, God, I hope this talk goes well, because I don't care if you've done this one time or a thousand times. You're always a little nervous. You're always hoping it goes great. And so that's me trying to short-circuit that process, right, and just finding out instantly this is going to be great or shitty, and now I know and just get on with it, right? Um, so as I mentioned, uh, or we were mentioned previously, work at a video game developer, uh, been making games my whole life, been making games for about 30 years, uh, professionally since, like, 96 and I'd like to share two stories that will kind of like merge together like a true artiste um, <laughs> about two games. One was the first game I ever released commercially. Well, me and a team of people ever released commercially. And more recently, a team we made at Iron, or a game we made at Iron Galaxy. So the first one was 96. The second one's 2012. So the first one was Space Jam for the Sega Saturn. It was, thank you. Thank you. God, where were you fuckers 16 years ago? God. I swear to God make me so fucking mad. All right. But anywho, um, so, like, I've been making my games my whole life, but there were things I wouldn't show people. I wouldn't, like, I'd keep them for myself, because, not because I was modest or I was scared or whatever, it's just, 
Uh, I don't know, it just never occurred to me to show my friends or whatever. But um, So this was the first game I ever worked on. And my contribution to this, just to be clear, was like tiny, 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 right? It was like I did the menus and some mini games and just some stuff like that. It was like kind of the first professional gig. And uh, I wanted it to be amazing. Like, I wanted it to be something it never could be. Like, this is a movie license game. It was never going to be up for end-of-the-year awards, right? It was always destined to be this, like, three out of five. Here's what it is. But I worked my ass off for that. Like, I poured my, I poured everything I had into it. And it's not because I had some boss breathing down my neck. It's because I wanted the game to be more than it could be, right? And um, so going through that, uh, it didn't. Uh, it was released in Next Generation Magazine, who is kind of like the most avant-garde, critical voice in the games journalism space at the time. They gave it a one star out of five. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. They gave it, they call it like a shitty NBA jam clone. That's, that's summating all the pros I read. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like it hit me really hard. And uh, it didn't just affect me. It in turn affected everyone around me. I was a dick to my, at the time, girlfriend, now wife. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so she, there's the, that's a whole nother story. Um, I was a total asshole to my coworkers, and in short, I was like pretty unpleasant to be around for a long time. And I became aware of this over the course of the next couple of years. So now, fast forward to 2012, we work on a game called Reketeer for the Xbox 360, and it's kind of like, thank you, that's about accurate. Um, <laughs> And so this is, this is like the first, the studio I work at, we're primarily like a tech house. And what that means is we don't do a lot of original game development. What we do is like take scribble knots from the DS and we put it on iPad or whatever, right? And we do stuff like that. So getting the chance to make an original game is like a really big deal for a tech house because it's like a chance for you to kind of break out and like become an actual developer or whatever. And so this was like a really, really big deal for the studio. I was leading the project myself. Um, obviously, since it's my, my company, if the game does well, like I was going to do really well too. Everyone in the studio is going to do really well. So compared to like Scribble Nuts, I had this much to do with it, and Reketeer, like it was really like kind of my show, and I had this much riding on its success. Um, I still remember the day it came out. Um, we did a launch party in the studio, and uh, we had brought in a lot of beer and pizzas and food, and along the wall over here. Uh, we had like previous builds of the game. So we had the first prototype. We had the first build we sent to Microsoft. Every milestone we ever did. And back there was the released version of the game. And so people could kind of see it and play it. And it was just kind of a neat little thing. And then, uh, so you could go back. I don't know why I thought of this. But, hey, we could go back there and look at the leaderboards and see how it's doing. And that was a mistake. Because, um, like, through the course of the night, I think when we got done at the party at, like, 2 a.m., I think, like, 2,500 people were on the leaderboards which is, like, the theoretical worst a game like this could do. Like, it was really pushed by Microsoft. They really believed in it. And it was a good game. Like, I stand by it. I still think it's fun, right? Uh, but there's a lot of reasons it failed we don't need to get into now. It certainly has nothing to do with me being a subpar developer or project lead. Um, and so uh, I go to bed that night, and uh, it was really bumming. But woke up the next day, and I was mostly fine, right? Um, and... Like, how did that happen when, when you look at Space Jam and it's like I did this much and I was devastated for years uh, and Reketeer, then how did that happen? Well, somewhere along the line, I'm not exactly sure where this happened, but a defense mechanism kicked in. And what making games became for me, it's not about what the game ends up being, right? It's about the journey and the people you made it with. Like, I don't remember, like, we've had games that people like, like Dropkick. <laughs> Or, or, Blitz, or, or Blitz the League or whatever. We made some good games. And I don't remember those reviews at all. I, I don't remember, like, you know, I know people have come up to me and thanked me for working on stuff like that, and they might have told me about a time when, you know, a game I helped create gave them joy and they needed it or whatever. But that's not really what I remember. What I remember is the first time we got online in Third Strike working. And it was eight at, eight at night, and you could play for the first time. And it didn't matter that one one screen had Ken and Ryu, and the other one had Chun Li and Yurian. You know, it didn't matter. It's like you were hitting buttons, and things were happening. Like I remember that. <laughs> I remember staying up three days straight with my friends on Blitz the League, trying to get a build ready for E3, just trying to chase down one little bug that no one would have noticed, uh, but we all gave a shit, and so that's why we did it. Right? Those are the things I remember. And it, so it's not about like what the game ends up being or what people think of it. Uh, for me, it's about the journey, right? Because the thing I figured out through all this 
Like if you could say fuck the destination, I'm about the journey, then nothing else matters. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave. All right, guys, so we, there's two things you all need to go home and download. One is Funky Shazam's album, Ganzo, and the other one, obviously, is Dropkick. So, It was said. The game is Dropkick. Also, the band was Foxy Shazam. Come on, guys. It's not Funky Shazam. Know your stuff. Come on. Anyway... Uh, this, this fine speaker is returning to your story stage after, I don't know, four or five months. I know we missed her. Sarah Schieber. It's the last dance. We all slow down to a pause, a little out of sorts, as the first notes of a slow and wistful melody drift from speakers that had pumped out serious dance beats moments before. A sort of exasperated sigh escapes the groomsman to my right as he heads for a nearby table in protest. And my friend rolls her eyes as she joins hands with her new husband and explains, it's usually a slow song, you guys. So, I suddenly found myself caught in a collision of limbs and an affirmatively delivered exclamation of let's dance that I did not see coming. Now, I had been dancing near this guy for a measurable portion of the evening, absolutely completely too shy to even think about making eye contact Uh, the whole time uh not at all so was i happy slash pleased about this unexpected turn of events totally was i also a little bit completely terrified you bet so in the space of what was probably the longest two seconds in the world, I managed to remember his hand is supposed to go on my waist, not the other way around. <laughs> and my feet are supposed to be moving in some sort of rhythm, so I get him kind of going back and forth. Uh, convinced that any moments of silence would be the actual end of the world. I comment to his chin, I don't recognize this song. After trying to remember the title, he gives up and simply asks, It's romantic, no? What was probably the longest half second in the world followed and went something like this in my head. Oh, God, wait. What did he say? I think he said romantic. Are my feet still moving? Yes. Okay, cool. Oh, crap. It's been too long. I have to say something. I'm going to try to make eye contact. Whoops, went too far. Landed on the ceiling. It's really been too long. I need to say something now. And (laughs) I hear my voice exclaim, I've never heard it before. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) so here's the thing I'm not great at romance Um, I can talk about composers, poets, or authors who worked in the romantic era (laughs) but when it comes to romantic situations more often than not I just feel woefully out of depth it doesn't seem to matter quite what I do when even a hint at the hypothetical, though improbable, possibility of anything remotely romantic casts a shadow around the corner. I have a knack for performing the social equivalent of slipping on a banana peel. (laughs) Making a conscious effort to be nonchalant or charming has been a sort of subconscious go-to response for me in the past, in an attempt to jump beyond the reach of the cartoonish hunter's net my nervous awkwardness is just itching to throw over my head. But... I've been thinking about it lately, and I'm not convinced that conscious charm is really any better than going face down in a pile of banana peels in the first place. How far off is making a conscious effort to be charming from a kid crossing her fingers behind her back while telling a white lie to get out of trouble for knocking over a lamp? By pulling the guise of however I feel I'm supposed to act, all I've really done is disengage. And how much is there to be gained from more or less baking your way through it. What do you learn from that? At the end of the day, the lamp still fell on the floor, so more than anything, I feel like I'm not being myself, or not trusting me to be kind of awkward me. So I was alone with a friend a couple months ago when he confronted me in disbelief about my previous assertion that I only had friendship-centric feelings regarding him. I had incorrectly believed him to be dating someone else at the time, so the necessity of the assertion kind of took us both a little bit by surprise. And we had ironed all that out, or so I thought. There he stood in utter bemusement, 
at the fact that I continued to maintain I only wanted to be friends with him. His assertion, the activities we did together just seemed to be so romantic in nature. I hate to admit it, but beneath that pressure, there was a moment when it was tempting to just question the veracity of my instincts, the involuntary transformation of whatever regular bad self I've got going on that day into a somewhat mumbly and awkward little thing is not the most exciting thing in the world to embrace. But for now, at least, it's part of what's going on with who I am. And I'd rather feel like I'm walking on two left feet than allow myself to get swept up in the momentum of something that I know doesn't feel right. I might not be the most talented when it comes to gracefully navigating my way through romantic situations, but it is up to me to determine the nature of my feelings. It's not up to someone else to explain when romance has found me. So maybe I am always going to freak out at least a little bit when an attractive man asks me to dance while a romantic song is playing amidst romantic mood lighting at the end of a day celebrating the very best of love. (laughs) But even though a minefield of banana peels is waiting right outside my front door. I know it's there. I don't want to just sit at home, crossing my fingers, hoping that it'll all somehow be figured out for me. Thank you, Sarah. Man, I, don't, I, I feel like, I mean, what better position is there being, is, can you be in romantically than trying to convince and argue with someone that, yes, what you did was romantic? That always seems to work for me. Come on. It's a great strategy. It's great. All right, guys. This next speaker, first timer to the Your Story stage. She is the events deputy at Cards Against Humanity and a fan of the podcast. I'm really stoked to have her here. Alex Cox. Yeah! Thanks for being excited, Shelby. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, hey, so I'm Alex, and most of you don't know me, but I know a lot of you as the voices who make me cry on the CTA while I'm listening to your podcast. <laughs> so, so thanks for that, guys. Um, <laughs> and when Patrick emailed me asking me to tell a story, I said I was super excited because I'm such a huge fan of the Nerdalogs and your stories and Patrick's writing. And I was actually lying um, because, again, huge fan, not but not a huge fan of speaking public. And I was really nervous that with the theme of fingers crossed, I would make a lesbian sex joke that would really <laughs> upset people. <laughs> so just, it, it, if it suits you, Google lesbians fingers crossed and you'll have an interesting experience online. <laughs> anyway... Uh, I just, a couple months ago, graduated from Columbia with a degree in documentary cinema arts and sciences. Um, That sounds really fancy, but it's not, not even a little bit. And I spent my entire time in art school trying to make films that were a hybrid of documentary and playfulness because video games have always had such a huge impact on my life. Plus, documentaries just usually make people really sad, and (laughs) I don't want to contribute to that. Um... I also had my fingers crossed all the time that I wouldn't completely fuck up because all my projects were really, really dumb. They usually had some sort of pun or wordplay in the title, and I, th- I thought it was really funny, but again, mostly dumb, so you don't need to laugh at any of, that, of this. Um, the first project I ever did was a film that was not a film. It was just screen caps of my friends and I as we talked on iChat, and I called it eye-chattering and thought it was really, really clever. And it was <laughs> it was set to um, In Sinks, It's Gonna Be Me. <laughs> it was supposed to be a commentary on nostalgia and long-distance friendship, but that was total bullshit. Um, <laughs> I also di- did a short project called Friendflix. I would invite another film student over and we'd watch a movie And I would tell them that we were going to record ourselves talking about it afterwards. And I'd set up the camera and say, so what did you think about Spirited Away? And before they could have a chance to say anything, I would just flick them in the face and then (laughs) and record their reaction. 
can't do that to any of you, and I'm sad. The most successful documentary I've made to date, and I'm using success with a very large grain of salt, um, is called Felt Up. And it, it involved subjects telling their virginity stories through hand puppets. Because <laughs> they, they're felt, get it? And you feel it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, you don't need to, really. It's okay. Um, I pitched this to teachers as a way to anonymously deconstruct sexuality stereotypes but really, I just thought it'd be fun to talk to people about sex while playing with puppets. Yeah. Um, and this stupid short film is, like, still playing in festivals. So I guess other people thought it was fun. Uh, and I got really cool internships and jobs based off of this dumb thing I made. So gay me. Um, and when I graduated, I, I was still working on this. And I'm actually still working on this uh, project that involves nonfiction ludonarratives or documentary video games. But at your graduation party, you want your friends and family to think that you're doing something interesting and not just still playing with puppets. So <laughs> that was where I was at. Um, and at the same night of my graduation party, I got an email. And at this point, I'm, like, really, really freaking out. Like, I was doing a bunch of freelance jobs. And they're really great, but they're about... There were projects involving uh, the homelessness and minimum wage across America, and these were all really, really important, great projects. Uh, but they really just kind of made me, again, they made me really sad. And all of my other projects, as dumb as they were, they made me happy, and they made a lot of people really, really happy. And I wanted to keep doing that. Uh, so anyway, at the night of my graduation party, I'm just like messing around on Tumblr, and I get this email uh, asking if I wanted to interview at the, for a position at this company, you might have heard of it, Cards Against Humanity, mm-hmm. and I immediately emailed my roommate, because I thought it was like a prank and he was fucking with me, which he would never do that. That's something I would do to him. I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was like, alright, I'll just go to this interview, uh at this place that, you know, made the card game that defined most of my friendships in college. No big deal. They'll be fine. Fingers crossed. Uh, And so, yeah, my interview started out with a description of my job, and it quickly escalated to me filming my now co-workers and boss destroying a printer in an alley. (laughs) And that's when I met Claire, who at the time I'm like, God damn it, your voice sounds so familiar, and now I know why. She threw a shoe at it, and it started to smoke, and the neighbors got mad. Anyway, um, (laughs) so yeah, uh, I was off the job and took it, and now I'm a tiny part of helping bring silliness into people's lives, and I couldn't be happier. Fingers crossed they don't fuck this up. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alex. Uh, we're really excited to have you here. I have to know, did anybody look like what you thought, or was anyone a complete surprise? No fair. comments? Fair. <laughs> fair. Yeah. That's fair. Can I tell a quick funny story about Alex getting hired? Sure. So. <laughs> uh, the lights. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, we needed an internship. Uh, we needed an intern, and then, uh, Alex applied, so we made up a different internship to make sure that she could have it. And then we just turned that into a full-time job. <laughs> so that we could hire Alex. Thank you. Yeah. Small businesses, the backbone of America. All right, guys. <laughs> Transitions are great. We have two more stories uh, tonight. The first one is is from a, a good friend of mine that I met through Nerdalogs. He is a wonderful person and a wonderful artist, Kevin Budnick. Yeah. I'm going to read a letter. Uh, It's made of paper. Uh, I'm writing this while standing in line for the Pitchfork Music Festival. It's a breezy, sunny day, and I'm surrounded by people in plaid, flower dresses, and boat shoes. Uh, All around me are cries of, ice cold water, one dollar. I think someone was handing out free ice cream. A lot of people have ice cream. (laughs) 
I really enjoyed your letter and have framed the tiny drawing of you, parenthetical question mark. Uh, I pinned the drawing of Clark to my wall because I didn't have a frame to fit it. Clark is my friend Hallie's cat. Uh, In response to your question, today was slash is pretty great. I got some new shoes the other day, and though today might be a bad day to break them in, parenthetical, a lot of walking slash standing, I'm pretty happy with them. I think a new pair of shoes can change your lease on life. Here's a fun fact about me. I keep a penny in my left shoe for luck. I can feel it under my toe. I'm hyper aware of it for having new shoes. I really like going on walks, too. On my days off, I tend to walk up and down my street a couple times, just so I feel like I'm doing something. I haven't seen a movie in a while, not since Grand Budapest Hotel, which I really liked. (laughs) Super good at writing letters. (laughs) Walking is one of a few compulsions that I picked up last time I was unemployed. See, I was very lonely and very nervous all the time. I start doing things like counting my steps and counting the number of times I opened the cinnamon for my oatmeal and counting cabinet doors and light switches. I'm glad I still walk, but thankfully some of those others have quieted down. Here is my least favorite view in response to your other question. There's an intersection here in Chicago that I pass on my bike a lot. Damon, Irving, and Lincoln. A rare three-way here, but the reason I hate it is the feeling I get as I approach it. On the right going on the right going south is a Starbucks, kitty corner to some kind of bank and another kind of bank. Ahead is a kitchen and bath showroom, which to me seems like a sad thing. I can't explain why. I drew a map. That's the intersection. I'll pass it around. Please note the coffee cup next to the frowny face. This is an actual letter that I'm sending to a friend of mine. We've started corresponding like with snail mail, as it would be called. Uh, my favorite view... Oh, my favorite view, as opposed to my least favorite view... Uh, is the view of Chicago just a little further south on Damon. As you cross a tall bridge, it's unique to see downtown from the west side of the city. So much of Chicago is north to south, but you can see all of it from the west side. You mentioned your thought as something... uh, You mentioned the thought that something incomplete could be thought of as perfect, and I love that. Just like getting through a depressing part of the city to see something beautiful... Or the, the idea that we as people are never complete. Or that the stories we're trying to tell are never finished. But the process of getting there is what's really enjoyable. I recommend, spelled incorrectly, a part-time job. <laughs> if only for human interaction. I recently quit one of my two jobs, parenthetical, the worst one, <laughs> in coffee. And I'm slightly worried that those rituals and compulsions will come back. But I have people who I've learned will support me if I falter. This isn't an embarrassing story like you asked to hear, but maybe in my next letter I'll share one. Anyway, I was riding my bike with a friend the other night. She was blowing me away, pedaling past me. She has a faster bike, and this means nothing if not for the fact that one year ago, when I was going through a lot, and she and I were riding together, and I was faster, furiously pedaling, definitely spelled incorrectly, (laughs) to get to the next destination. So quitting my job doesn't seem so scary. It's been one year, and I've learned to take things in stride, and I'm thinking about my lucky shoe penny. At least I have that if things go bad. Talk to you soon. Also, maybe see you in November. I'm likely visiting Brooklyn. Kevin. P.S. A good book, Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. I'm reading it right now, and it's great. Lots of 80s movies and TV references, as well as old video game feeling mashed up with, like, a George Orwell future. Thanks. Thank you, Kevin. Beautifully speaking to the power of analog communication.
I like it. All right, guys, we have reached the end of the evening. We have one more storyteller. I mentioned at the top that last time this gentleman came up to tell a story, uh, we were cut off by the uh, the union employees at C2E2 who were just doing their job. But fortunately, Chris Geiger is non-union and uh, probably will not kill the lights and sound. I'm Mr. Patrick Klepek. Well, I'd like to thank everyone, all the, the people I invited for coming. Thanks, you guys, for coming, and thanks for having me to, to do this. I'm going to stand because it feels more powerful when you, when you stand. Uh, also, the last story that I told for Nerdalogs, like, I wrote it out, like, I, like, I timed it, like, I got it perfectly, and, you know, it was five minutes, and then I was told, you have two minutes, and so I had to, like, do real-time editing on the fly, and then this one I just kind of thought about while I was barbecuing steak earlier tonight, so... <laughs> Uh, but when I thought about fingers crossed, uh, like that sort of implies to me maybe maybe a little bit of luck. Uh, and then throughout life, you can maybe think about ways you can subvert uh, that luck. And uh, a couple of years ago, I had a conversation uh, with my now wife, who I'll be married to uh, for two years in a couple of weeks. Um, I, th- I thought in my head about that line and knew everyone would clap. I just really wanted to make sure I got it in there. Um, and, and we had a conversation a couple of years ago where she goes, hey... You know, we've been dating for like five years or, or so now. It's like, <laughs> look, like neither of us are religious, not in a rush to get married, but I'm going to be 30 pretty soon. We need to be married by the time I'm 30. It's going to get embarrassing. So I said, okay. So like that gate, like, you know, you have that conversation. That would most freak most people out. But it's like, all right, cool. I know we're getting married. I don't have to worry about like the whole saying yes part, but now I can figure out like, what am I going to do? I can't just, like, surprise her at a restaurant. Like, that's no, like she's already told me, you have a deadline, so figure out something cool in the, in the time in between. So I started thinking about that, and it's kind of like when you get near Christmas time and you're not sure what to buy someone, and you just kind of, like, scroll through Amazon. Like, you just figure something's going to happen. I wasn't going to overthink it. And, but, like, that got me, like, increasingly nervous that I had to come up with something pretty cool. And when we first started dating... Uh, we got really into watching uh, horror films, and specifically uh, Charles Band created horror films. He's responsible for Puppet Master. He was a producer on Ghoulies, like a lot of stuff in the '80s. Uh, he was uh, behind, and he's still around making movies today. Although these days, he's responsible for things like Evil Bong. Like they're not as culturally relevant or interesting. Uh, and I don't mean to shock you, but uh, the result of this story is that I now have an IMDb credit for Evil Bong Three: The Wrath of Bong. Um, I should be—I should be clear. It's—it's. It's, I didn't write the screenplay. It's a story by, but I did, my text is really big in the movie. Um, and on their website, because uh, I just—I kept up with what he was doing, even though what he makes today is complete garbage. Um, it was, hey, we're doing Evil Bong Three. We would like the fans to come up with subtitle. So I said, okay, I, I can do this. Like, I can go get drunk, and I can come up with a name for Evil Bong 3. So I went out with a friend, and we came up with Evil Bong 3 Wrath of Bong. And the idea was, like, playing on Star Trek, and the idea was a, an asteroid came in from outer space, and, like, there was kind of, like, green moss on it, but then, like, some stoners find it, and, like, they start smoking it, and it turns it into zombies. And I wrote this 150-word treatment, not realizing that, you only had to come up with a subtitle. Like, I was really committed to this idea. And so uh, I go online, submit submit it, like, two days after the deadline, and, like, wrote, like, a very apologetic email. They're like, you know, I just I really worked on this, and, like, I, you know, I'm sorry it took two days, but I'd like it to still be considered for the contest. Skip a couple of weeks. Uh, then they, on their website, they put up a bunch of titles. They're like, 15 of these titles and mine's in there and you know in some small way that to be considered for a Charles Band production is is kind of cool but uh, instead of just choosing one they were going to put uh, it up to a vote so you know of course like I get on Twitter and Facebook and I'm like hey everyone you gotta you gotta vote for Evil Long 3 Wrath of Bong like I, let's get this movie made <laughs> and uh <laughs> And so I, at the time, I'm working for this uh, the now defunct G4 television station. They're now es- Esquire Network or, or something like that. Uh, I was at the end of my time there. I wasn't having as, uh, as much fun there anymore, and I was looking towards uh, the future. So towards the end of the day, I was kind of checking out. And towards the end of the day, it was also when I was thinking, well, maybe I should try and find people to vote for this movie that we're hoping to get made. And so here's what I realized. So Charles Band... 
not making good movies, also not a fan of good poll technology on the internet. So what I mean by that is that I came to realize uh, that if you voted for it, and he was using Poll Monkey, I'm not sure if they're still around. They shouldn't be around if they are. Bad poll technology. Don't use them. Uh, it didn't uh, record that you were, like, the specific computer you were voting from. So if you just reloaded the page, you could just vote again. And I was working at a job that I didn't really like. I wanted this movie to get made. I just started voting for my movie hundreds of times. <laughs> And as it turns out, no one else had figured that out, or, like, reasonable people were not voting for which subtitle of Evil Bong 3 that they wanted to get made. But I was, like, very particular about it. I was not, like, voting thousands of times. I didn't want them to realize that they were using shoddy poll technology. So instead, I'm just voting, like, 10 or 12 times and, like, slowly seeing, like, Wrath of Bong just, like, really just escape in front of, like, all the other ones. And, and this was a moment where... Uh, you know, I crossed my fingers that I could somehow be associated with this really terrible uh, Full Moon uh, Productions movie and then realized, like, well, no, actually, instead it doesn't have to be fingers crossed. I can just cheat and make sure that it gets to be my film. <laughs> and at the end of it, uh, they, they put up this YouTube video and Charles Band is up there on YouTube. He's like, hey, we're, you know, we're announcing the results. And, like, I knew the results, but I was still nervous because I figured at some point they'd have, like, someone look at this and be like, 99% of the votes are from this one computer in Los Angeles. We should probably discount those. Uh, they didn't do that. And instead, you know, Charles Bang gets on this YouTube video and he just goes, well, uh, right the bong, really, a lot of people want this movie to get made. So we're, we're making this movie. They got thousands of votes. And not only that, but then he goes, and this guy, Patrick Klepek, um, he wrote a plot summary, and it's pretty good, so we're just going to write a screen, a, screen, a screenplay based on that. And so, uh, I, not many more details I don't need for the story, but like, so I end up getting the screenplay, and like, I, girlfriend's out of town, and like, I get the screenplay for Wrath of Bong, I draw a bath. And like, I like, I got my iPad, and I'm sitting here ready to read this, and like, getting like, more and more horrified as I read it because it's really bad it's, I don't want to be associated with this anymore but uh, at this point it was too late um, because they had gotten in, t in touch with me and said hey uh, in case you want to come out to the premiere like you know you'd kind of have to travel for it uh, but if you want to come out to it you could uh, they're obviously not going to pay for it uh, but they said it's going to be in Chicago and just completely coincidental it was just sort of a horror festival happening out here and I realized at that moment that's it. I'm going to propose to my future wife on stage at the premiere of Evil Bong 3, Wrath of Bong, in Chicago. Because <laughs> we had met out there, and I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And thankfully, uh, when we did get to Chicago, we had uh, all, all of our family there, uh, all of our friends there. The movie was terrible. Everyone left within a couple of minutes um, to go out into the lobby where you could uh, buy alcohol, which is a highly recommended. Um, and it was the one thing where I got to go up on stage uh, and ask her to marry me, and I didn't actually have to my fingers crossed because I knew she'd say yes. So, thank you. <laughs> That that is tremendous. Was that the uh, the music box horror festival? I think so. Yeah. No. Uh, oh, okay. Right on. Super, super fucking cool. Anyway, uh, do you guys want to stand for this? I feel like we should stand. I think we should. I'm real scared. So this is to close out the night. This is a song by a band that I think you would have called a hair band for their first couple of albums. They were. Uh, they're a punk band. Uh, so not a hairband, you wouldn't have called them that. And then for this this record, uh, that is is now renowned as a one of the best albums of the '80s, they kind of switched to a, a more hip hop feel. So uh, this is the Beastie Boys. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get loose. Get loose. Get loose. Get loose. You got. All right. <laughs>
you guys can help out or provide. Now, here's a little story I got to tell about three bad brothers you know so well. It started way back in history with that rock. MCA. And me, Mike D. We had a little horsey named Paul Revere. Just me and my horsey in a quart of beer. Right across the land, kicking up sand. Sheriff Posse's on my tail because I'm in demand. One lonely beastie I be. All about myself without nobody. The sun is beating down on my baseball hat. The air is getting hot. The beer is getting flat. Looking for a girl. I ran into a guy. His name is MCA. I said howdy. He said hi. He told a little story that sounded well rehearsed. Ford is on the run and that he's dying of thirst. The brew was in my hand and he was on my tip. His voice was hoarse, his throat was dry. He asked me for a sip. He said, can I get some? I said, you can't get none. Had a chance to run, pulled out his shotgun. Quick on the draw, I thought I'd be dead. He put the gun to my head and this is what he said. Now my name is FCA, I got a license to kill. I think you know what time it is, it's time to get ill. Now what do we have here? An outline is beer. I run this land, you want Understand, I made myself clear. We stepped into the wind. He had a gun. I had a grin. We picked the stories over, but it's ready to begin. Now, I got the gun, and you got the brew. You got two choices of what you can do. It's not a tough decision, as you can see. I can't blow you away, or you can ride with me. I said I'll ride with you if you can get me to the border. The sheriff's after me for what I did to his daughter. I did it like this. I did it like that. I did it with a wiffle ball bat. So, I'm on the run. The cop got my gun. And right about now it's time to have some fun The King Ad Rock, that is my name And I know the fly spot where they got the champagne <laughs> We rode for six hours and we hit the spot The beat was a bumping and the girlies was hot The dude was staring like we know who we are We took an empty seat next to him at the bar And Z.A. said Know this kid. I said I didn't, but I know he did. The kid said, Get ready, cause this ain't funny. My name's Mike D, and I'm about to get money. Pulled out the jammy, aiming at the sky. He yelled, Pick him up, and let two fly. Hands went up, and people hit the floor. He wasted two kids, and ran for the door. I'm Mike D, and I got respect. Your cash and your jewelry is what I expect. MCA was with it, and he's my ace, so I grabbed the piano player, and I punched him in the face. Piano player's out. The music stopped. His boy got beef and he got dropped. Mike D, grab the money. MCA got the gold. I grabbed two girlies and a beer that's cold. Have a good night, everybody. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.